Okay, uh, this morning's reading is taken from Luke 6, 12 to 23. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him. He chose 12 of them, whom he designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, son of Alphidius, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who had become the traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed from their diseases. Those troubled with impure spirits were cured and the people all touched him because power was coming out of him and he was healing them all around. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor for the kingdom of God is yours. I wonder if you feel exhausted. I do. We're not even the end of January, and it feels like things are speeding up, doesn't it? I don't know how things are for you at work. It always seems a little bit of an extra effort, doesn't it, coming back into work after the Christmas break. And then three weeks in, you're thinking, my goodness, I can't keep going. Um, so much happening. I was up with the women uh, yesterday and uh, speaking there yesterday morning and then traveling back and then welcoming some people in, then preparing stuff. And it feels sometimes like we're a bit on a bit of a treadmill, doesn't it? It feels like things are just going on and we can't sort of quite manage it. The, uh, this last week, our dog hasn't been well and so has been barking and waking us up three times during the night. Goodness, it reminded me of when we had newborn children. Never again. Um, Exhausting. It's totally exhausting. But um, our work context can be like that, can't they? And so can um, our life in general. We're in a society where everyone's running everywhere. There's pressure on, isn't there? All the time. I don't know how you are this morning, but um, I'd like you to know that you're in good company. Because as we turn to um, our reading today, and as we continue in this series of reflections on, on Jesus' ministry, we find Jesus also under pressure. In fact, we're only two chapters into Jesus' ministry, okay? He started the ministry in Luke chapter four, and now we're in Luke chapter six. Two chapters. I mean, it's probably not a great length of time. And already, if you just look through those chapters, it is extraordinary what he's been doing. He's been healing people. A man freed from an evil spirit, another one healed of leprosy, another one a paralyzed man able to walk. We, we've met already people with names like Simon and, and Simon's mother-in-law. I mean, how do mothers-in-law get into this thing already? And then, and then Levi and his tax collector friends. But the thing that really strikes you as you read through these pages is the number of times that Luke the writer says lots of people. He talks about people all the time. Crowds of people. People bringing to Jesus all who are sick. People looking for Jesus. People crowding around Jesus. People crowding him out. And then demons. 
Demons unable to keep quiet. Pharisees unable to cope. Disciples unable to keep up with it all. It's all quite exhausting. And in the middle of our passage this morning, we have, we have this, this sort of reminder because Jesus comes and it says a large group of disciples is waiting for him and a large number of people from all over. They're all there. It doesn't seem to matter what Jesus tries to do. There's always this sort of movement all around him. It's exhausting. But the fact is that it's not useless movement. Something is happening And in the midst of all this sort of frenetic movement and and fascination with Jesus and all the things he's doing, something is beginning that is profound. This is a movement of God that is going to change the world. But it is not a movement of God that comes out of panic or stress or exhaustion. There's a different dynamic at work here. And it's actually this morning a dynamic that can come to us in our tiredness and those of us that are under pressure, those of us that are struggling with the things that we have to try and juggle because there's good news here for us. Because being with Jesus was really, really good news. It does actually focus on the person of Jesus and Jesus in the midst of all this activity is actually bringing chaos into order. He's looking and he's seeing the chaos and he's doing the recreation thing. Out of all that mess and brokenness, he's bringing order. Out of that tiredness, he is bringing God's strength. And Jesus is connected. Throughout it all, he he is connected to his Father. And so he's not doing it out of a sense of obligation. Jesus is not driven. Jesus is called. And Jesus is going in our passage to call disciples. He's not driving them. He's not pushing them into some sort of stress machine. He's calling them to follow him. Now, The extraordinary thing is at the beginning of this gospel, as we look at Jesus' ministry, there are like two dynamics that are intertwined. The first one is Jesus performing signs of the kingdom. He does it wherever he goes. He's like that. He heals, he restores. It's all Isaiah 61, isn't it? The spirit of the Lord on me to bring good news here, to to, to bring freedom there, to, to release people. Jesus is like that, and that's a strand that we're seeing through the the, the ministry of Jesus. He is here to perform signs of the kingdom, signs of God's love. But there's a second strand. Jesus is not just performing signs, he's also forming a community. And that is quite a distinctive thing. Jesus knows that this ministry, if it's going to become a world-changing movement, will come about as his spirit, as the spirit of God infuses people's lives and the movement becomes community and the community becomes a channel of power. 
And so both of those are happening together in these early moments of Jesus' ministry. He's performing signs, but he's forming community. And in our passage, he does it by calling disciples. So we have one of those days, it starts. One of those days, Jesus is praying. And having prayed, he then gathers his disciples to him. And from those disciples, that sort of nebulous bunch, he chooses 12. Actually, the the word disciple simply means learner. Okay? It just means learner. And probably early on, and certainly Luke gives us that impression, uh, there's nothing organized about that. There probably were lots of them learning, following Jesus. Some of them were there because he'd hit something in their hearts, but others probably just because a friend had, had called them along. They're all learning. They're following him. And out of this sort of like extraordinary sort of ragtag group of people, Jesus chooses 12 because he knows that if the movement of God is, is to grow and is to impact the world, it needs leadership. And so he's choosing. And the passage says he chooses these 12. Now, there's something very interesting about the number 12. It isn't actually just because Jesus has been reading the, the sort of um, leadership manuals and they've told him that every good leader needs to have 12 around him. I mean, I no doubt Jesus was learning, uh, leading, reading the leadership manuals, probably he watched them online. But no, of course, this is actually far, far deeper than that. This is a symbol. This is a symbol because what uh, Jesus is doing here is not primarily organizational. It's symbolic. This is the new Israel. Just as in the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes. Now he's choosing 12. And they're going to symbolize the whole thing. In the Old Testament, 12 is a, is a symbolic number. It, it represents everything. And he's choosing 12 disciples because out of them, it's all going to happen. They're going to be the starting point. They're going to be the ones uh, who, who, who help this thing to develop But the extraordinary thing about these 12 and that symbolic number is that that they are a really, really odd bunch of people. They don't fit together. I mean, Jesus has just spent a whole night praying so he gets his strategy right. This is his group. This is his team. And who does he choose? Well, he chooses some obvious people, team players. There's two uh, sets of brothers, Andrew and Peter and, and James and John. That's okay, that's logical. They work together in the local fishing industry. But then the others. I mean, like, Matthew. We see from the other Gospels that Matthew is the same as Levi, who's just been converted. Levi was a tax collector. He was in cahoots with the Romans. He was working for the Roman authorities. He was rich, And in money, he was was sort of taking it and and, and siphoning it off for himself. And then alongside Matthew, we've got Simon the Zealot. He's an extremist who's set on destroying Roman power. I mean, let's put those two in a room and see what happens. Great for team dynamics. And then what about Judas? 
Well, Judas was the one who would betray him. It's a strange choice. Some of the 12 were clearly outstanding people and we know from history that they came to lead the church, Peter, people like that, although they had plenty of faults. But actually most of the 12 seem to have had little or no influence on history at all. We know next to nothing about them. And the only one in the list whose name is mentioned with a reference to the, in, to the, the historic impact that he's going to have is Judas. Judas, the one who would betray him. It's almost like Luke wants to tell us that Jesus is choosing ordinary people. And that actually Jesus' core team is made up of flawed individuals. It's made up of perfectly ordinary people. And wow, isn't that good news? Because the way Jesus worked then is also the way Jesus works now. Normal people, like you, like me. But they have this going for them. They are named. They are named. Everyone is named. Isn't it beautiful how when Jesus calls us, he calls us by name? Have you heard him call your name? Because when Jesus calls by name, he knows us. He doesn't mistake us for someone else. He calls us by name. So for all their faults and all their, 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 their misdeeds and, their, and, and, and they're named by Jesus. And they're named because he's been praying. He doesn't get it wrong. He gets it right. And then there's extraordinary dynamic in these verses because Jesus is choosing them not for what they are but for what they will become. The very first thing Jesus does in choosing the 12 is he designates them apostles. That word means sent ones. For goodness sake, they've only just come. And already Jesus is calling them sent ones. Do you see? Hardly have we come to Jesus when already he believes in us. Hardly have we come to him when already he's giving us things to do, he's, he's calling us out. He's giving us value, he's giving us a name and he's saying, I believe in you, you've got things to do. That's how Jesus is. We're only two pages into his ministry and already he's calling people to be sent out. From the outset, Jesus calls them apostles. Now they've been chosen by him, not because they're going to be pillars of an organization, but because they are going to be the pioneers of a movement. And they're going to draw others out. It's like in this passage we have categories. We've got the crowds who are there to listen. We've got the disciples who are there to learn. And we've got the apostles who are there to go. And it's like they're being drawn from one category to the next as they go close to Jesus. 
And so Jesus calls these people. But we talked about two strands, Jesus building community, and this is the start, but also Jesus doing the ministry. And you can't take much time in Luke's gospel before you step back into the maelstrom of the busyness of ministry. And we have it in our passage. Hardly has Jesus chosen those 12 when they're back into the busyness again. Verse 17, Jesus went down with them, that's the 12, and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal. And what happens? Oops, it's the healing again. Ministry. Listen, listen to the Greek. I mean, not the Greek. I'm not going to read you, read you the Greek, but let me translate the Greek for you. This is, this is literally how it goes. I can't read it. Hold on. I've got my glasses. Goodness me, old age. There was there a crowd of many disciples and a multitude of many people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coast country of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be cured from, his, from their diseases and the ones being tormented from spirit, unclean spirits were healed and all the crowd sought to touch him because power came from him and went forth and cured them all. You hear the and? It's like, oh, good grief, there's not even time to catch your breath. Hardly has Jesus chosen the 12 when suddenly they're back into it. Now, imagine you're one of the 12. So far you've been following Jesus a bit at a distance. Or maybe a bit close. But it's been good to see Jesus at work. And suddenly Jesus has chosen you by name. The text tells us that he came and that the 12 were with him. Something significant has happened here. Up until that point, the, 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 the 12 were part of the crowd, the many. But now they're with Jesus. Suddenly, he's brought them out of the audience and they're standing on the stage next to Jesus. And it's all happening all around them. Now imagine that's you. How do you feel? You've only just been called. And already, suddenly, it's all happening all around you. You're right in the middle of it. This kingdom dynamic, it is amazing, Jesus. But can't I watch it from the front row? Do I have to be on the stage? I don't actually have a clue what's going on. I don't understand what you're doing, Jesus. And you're right next to me. People are looking at me like they're looking at you and I don't know what to do. Kingdom stuff, sure. But through me, help. That's how I translate it. That's how I would be. It's great to watch Jesus at work. It's freaky to be invited to stand next to him as he does it. But isn't that always the way with Jesus? He's always drawing us in. And what he wants to do, he wants us to be part of it. And he wants us to learn. He's... He's calling us, instead of being like part of the audience watching, Jesus brings us alongside him. He involves us from the start. Now, now, of course, Jesus is going to train his apostles. In fact, we're going to have the Sermon on the Mount just after this. And he's going to take time. They're going to learn alongside him. 
But they will not, these apostles, have the luxury of three years' study. I'm not sure they even got three weeks. See, here's the Jesus model from this passage and from these early moments in his ministry. This is what Jesus does. First of all, he designates them apostles, yeah? So he chooses them and already calls them sent ones. He designates Then he associates them with his ministry. He brings them up close. They're standing next to him. Then he's going to communicate the vision of the kingdom to them. And he's going to say, this is you. And then he delegates to them because he's going to send them out. They're going to be doing it as well. This is like the apprenticeship model. Learning on the job. And it's pretty freaky. Well, it was for me. I remember when, I was a, when we had our first baby, Thomas was born and um, Uta and I came back from the hospital and the first thing we did was sort of dump gently Thomas in the middle of the front room and we burst out laughing. It just seemed so completely ridiculous that we should be parents of this little thing. We had no idea what we were doing and we learnt on the job. Five children later, we still don't know what we're doing and we're learning on the job. Actually, it was a bit like Uta when she started. She was uh, trained as a chartered accountant, but what actually happened was uh, uh, she went into work and they told her that she was an accountant and the next day they sent her out into a company to do the work. She didn't have a clue what she was doing, but she learnt on the job. Funnily enough, that's how Jesus works. We come to him and straight away he gets us going. But here's the thing. Jesus is not putting extra pressure on his disciples. He's not calling them to stress. He's calling them to do it like him and learn from him. That's why he's putting them next to him. And as he pushes them out, he is with them. And we see that at the beginning and end of this passage, okay? It's like the whole passage is framed by this. You cannot get away from it. Because the end of the passage when all these things are happening and the disciples are bewildered and they're looking around and they're beginning to freak out inside saying, we can't cope with this, Lord. Verse 20 says this, looking at his disciples, Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor for the kingdom of God is yours. Do you see that? Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you when you feel you're out of your depth. Blessed are you when you see the gaze of Jesus. Blessed are you when you're sent out by him. Because you're not doing it out of stress. You're not driven, you're called. And Jesus looks at his disciples and literally in the Greek it says he lifts his gaze to them and he connects and that is all they need. It's all we need. In those moments where it all gets too much, when maybe we forget why we're doing what we're doing, we meet Jesus' gaze and he says, it's okay, you're blessed. You're strengthened. You're affirmed. 
Your wholeness is there in me. Even you. And especially when you feel poor and inadequate. Because the kingdom of God is for you. There's no mistake here. I didn't choose you by mistake. I chose you because you're you. Now that is incredibly affirming for the disciples. It changes their perspective entirely. And ministering out of that is a totally different thing. But I said that it frames our passage because the passage begins with that as well. It begins with Jesus taking a step out of the busyness and going up the mountain to pray. It says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Then he chose his disciples. Now, it's not anecdotal. This is key. If Jesus is going to be able to do his ministry, it's because he's connected to his Father. If his disciples sent out as apostles are going to do anything worthwhile, it's because they're connected to Jesus. There is a connectedness that keeps us going and gives us strength. More than that, actually, in our passage, it says Jesus went up into the mountainside. You know, in the Old Testament, the mountain is that symbolic place of encounter with God. It's on the mountain Moses met God. It's on the mountain Elijah met the presence of God in that still, small voice. And it's on the mountain that the disciples will meet with Jesus and he will call them. It says he calls them to him. That means he's calling the disciples up the mountain to be with him in the presence of his father. That's where it starts, their call. It doesn't start with the crowds. It starts as they come to him in the Gospel of Mark. It's very interesting. The, the call of the 12 is, is sort of summarized like this. It says in Mark chapter three, it says, Jesus called the 12 apostles so that they could be with him and preach and have authority to cast out evil spirits. In that order, be with him, connected. That's where it began. It's where it always begins. And for Jesus, that's where it begins, up the mountain. But then Jesus goes down onto the plain. It says in our text, verse 17, he went down with the disciples, with his apostles, and there he goes and meets the people. There's a dynamic that always marks our spiritual lives. Called up, sent down. That is how we live. Called into God's presence, then sent out into the world. Friends, that is how we exist. As we come into his presence, we breathe in. As we go into the world, we breathe out. That is the rhythm. If we try and breathe out without breathing in, we die out of exhaustion. If we breathe, out, breathe in and we don't breathe out, we pop, we explode. Because what God gives us, we channel out. So the apostles, Jesus calls them up and sends them out. 
And his ministry is constantly written by that. He goes to the Father, then he gives out. Goes to the Father, then he gives out. The disciples come to Jesus, then they give. And that's how they learn to be apostles, sent ones. That's always the dynamic. So here we are today. I don't know how you feel, but I feel pretty exhausted by life. One temptation would be for me just to sort of leave it all and and try and hide. Go into the presence of God, and I need that. But the Lord's actually also sending me out there. But he's sending me out not for stress, but in faith. Trusting him. Called, not driven. But to do it, I need to be able to breathe. I breathe in his presence and I breathe out his blessing, okay? That's what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. He's calling them to be sent ones, but they must be with him. Now friends, in the life of our church and in our everyday lives, there's such a temptation for us to be busy. And the Lord has lots of work for us to do, but we must breathe in before we breathe out. And then breathe in and breathe out. Because it's as we dwell in his presence that we can then be a blessing to others. That's the way it works. It's a movement. It's the movement of the spirit. So this morning, I really believe the Lord is calling us. He's not driving us. He's calling us. He's calling us to himself And he's calling us out to others. Going hand in hand, but it must go hand in hand. In a a moment, we're going to do a symbolic thing. We're going to receive bread and wine. That's a moment of coming. But I just wonder if before we do that, it wouldn't be helpful for us to, to do a symbolic thing. Now, this may not affect everyone, but it certainly affects me. If you feel driven or tired and you want to breathe in so you can breathe out, then why don't you just stand where you are and we're going to just pray for you. Hold on just a sec. Let me finish before you stand. Um, Because not everybody will stand and that's fine because this is just a moment for us to respond particularly. But if you feel that, if you feel that you're trying to give, but you need to breathe in, then we'd like just to affirm you. And it may be that you just feel a, a bit overwhelmed by what's going on at the moment. A bit like the disciples. You don't, you don't want to step back, but you want to do it out of a place of calm. Um, And what we're simply going to do, just so that it sort of reduces the stress levels here, is that those of us who've stood, we're just going to invite those who aren't standing, perhaps just to um, sort of get a bit closer to them and just maybe gently lay a hand on your shoulder. We authorized that this morning. Do it delicately and respectfully. Um, And say your name to you. So that might involve you just saying, hi, I don't know you. What's your name? And then we're just going to say your name. And as you hear your name spoken, 
That's the Lord calling you. And that's the way for some of us to bless others. Okay, so I'd love to invite those who would just like to symbolize that um, desire to respond and to just to stand up. Why don't, why don't we stand? If, that's, uh, if, if we'd like that sort of just refreshing, that sense of filling and coming close, breathing in, why don't you stand? And quite simply what we're going to do, and this is very straightforward and very simple, I'd just like to invite those who are perhaps not seated, and it doesn't matter if not everybody is, you know, sort of covered, but this is just a sort of symbolic gesture, okay? Um, those of us who are seated, perhaps you could just go um, and, and stand alongside those who've stood. And just very, very simply, just ask them their name, and let's just, um, we're just going to say out loud the name in a prayerful way, and then we're going to wait and allow the Lord's Spirit to come. Jesus prayed all night. We're not going to wait all night or all day, but we're just going to open a space, okay? And, uh, and as we do that, we'll invite the Lord to refresh you. And as you breathe in, breathe in his spirit.